Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the WFI Scouting Podcast. As always, uh, I'm joined by Lee Scott. Lee, how are you today? All well with you? I'm good, yeah. I've just about survived two kids' birthday parties in two days, so so I'm, I'm a little bit exhausted after that, but I'm ready to go. Sounds like a duvet day to me, that. Oh, no. <laughs> a complete duvet day. Oh, nightmare. Been through it. Got a t-shirt. Happily, mine are adults now, so there's no problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the birthday parties get more expensive. That's the only thing. You just need to start paying for a drink. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. Well, listen, this week we're going to take a bit of a look at uh, basically the changing face uh, at Real Madrid, uh, you know, away from the Galactico era. And maybe just to start out, Lee, maybe start out talking about, you know, how the, the recruitment model at Madrid has changed since the Galactico era. Certainly we're seeing them very much in the ascendancy at the moment in Spain and, and probably in world football as well, to be honest. I don't think there's very, very many can touch them. But it's certainly a transition, a movement away from the, the traditional sort of let's just buy the best. Um, th- they're almost developing players <laughs> these days. What's your thoughts on it? I think it's really interesting. I mean, you're right. I think that Real Madrid, part of the reason that we chose to, to talk about Real Madrid today is that I think they're the most complete and almost the most interesting side in world football at the moment. Uh, anyone who saw the the Spanish Supercopa, the, the two legs against Barcelona, you can't help but be impressed by, by kind of the players that they have in and around that squad. And it wasn't just their first, their first choice 11. It was, there were other players that were coming in like Mateo Kovacic and Asensio, Isco, all these players were suddenly coming to the fore for Real Madrid and it's going to be really interesting to see how they're used this summer. But there's been a definite shift in the way that they're building their team and in their recruitment model over the last three, four, maybe five seasons. Away from, I I still remember vividly, the, the start of the Galactico era and you're, you're right, the Real Madrid under Fiorentino Perez at the time, they would just go out and cherry pick the best player in the world each summer it was almost it was it was a status more than anything else I think that Real Madrid and Perez in particular thought that Real Madrid had to have the most expensive and almost a shiny new toy every year so from players like Luis Vigo who obviously they, they poached from Barcelona to Zinedine Zidane who's still there coaching the club now but he was one of the big Galactico signings there was a cycle of players who who were brought in almost without without thinking about where they would fit into the team as a whole. And that that was the kind of way that they built their teams. It was it was very much based around the players rather than the coaches. The players had all the power. The players were the ones in the dressing room who would who would almost dictate whether a coach would keep their job or not. But th- th- is that really the reason, Lee, that you would have saw that, you know, we, we see a, a turnover of coaches. It's nearly like a Brazilian side, you know what I mean? And if you cross Paris, yeah. it's, it's one sort of... <laughs> You know, tripwire for you, but then you've you've the dressing room as another tripwire, and there's you know it's like a poison chalice almost during the Galactico era to to, to manage that team. It, it definitely was. I mean, you see some of the coaches that came and went over the period there. I mean, Vincent uh, Del Bosque went on from Real Madrid to to win how many titles with Spain? He produced those Spanish sides that basically swept world football for half a generation and played some great football. What would he be able to achieve if he'd been given a 10-year span at Real Madrid? But it never happened. He even won the Champions League and he was out in his ear. You, you look at Jose Mourinho. And I, I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not Mourinho's biggest fan in terms of playing style and anything the else. The fans did him more than anybody else, Lee, to be yeah. honest with you. I, I, I almost think he did himself a little bit. When I think, I mean, that that was the era really when, when Barcelona were the super team though and Mourinho was there. And I think he found it very difficult coming up against that almost 
how popular Barcelona were around the world more than anything else. I mean, it, it wasn't simply Spain or, or Europe. It was it was everywhere. Everyone was watching Barcelona and the the Xabi and Iniesta, Messi, Busquets. That kind of that kind of four players in particular became synonymous with with what was good about football. And I think Jose Mourinho almost got sick of, of constantly. I mean, he didn't help himself. Some of the some of the mind games he tried to play against Guardiola were border borderline ridiculous. But yeah, I, I think he did almost trip himself up. But the fans weren't happy with him either. I mean, the decision towards the end of his tenure to to drop Iker Casillas. Now, looking back on that now, when he, when he dropped Iker Casillas, who was a legend of the club, he was a contender. He came through the Real Madrid youth ball youth academy, and he was one of the few who has done so and got onto the first team and had huge success. But he was dropped from the first team under Mourinho when he fell out with, with Casillas. Now you kind of look at it and you see Casillas now a couple of seasons on and the skills have definitely faded. So whether Mourinho was right to do so or not, I think the, the fact that he did do that and he did choose to go down that route definitely didn't do him any good. But yeah, even even now coaches come and go. Rafa Benitez didn't take for one reason or another. I mean... I still think that Rafa Benitez, if he'd been given a, a longer period of stability at Real Madrid, I think he would have turned it round and been a success. I think he's a, a very good coach and and he is a he's Real Madrid through and through, really, as much as you know he's he's revered by Liverpool and he loves Liverpool himself. He still identifies himself very much as a as a Real Madrid man from from a young age. So I think he would have been a, a great choice. But I, I think it's until now, it's until you've got Zinedine Zidane at the club who. Obviously, he was at board level for a little while, and he was he was involved quite quite high up with the, the inner dealings at the club with Fiorentina, Florentino Perez. Sorry, he he was involved at that stage, and he's came in to coach the club, and really we weren't sure what to expect when Zidane was given the job. But what we've almost got is a coach who probably the only coach that I've I've came across as a Real Madrid coach who who has the power to stand up to the president to say no. And that's a huge thing for the stability of the club at the moment, I think. You know, and, and you know, you talk about Zidane there, and you, t- you can even take it at the board level. You know, I know, I know he did a lot of uh, ambassadorial work as well for Real Madrid uh, during that time. But, you know, if you take all the problems that uh, former managers have faced, you know, Zidane has the fans on side. He has the respect, I think, a, a 100% respect from that dressing room. You know, his status yeah. as a player and his playing time. You know, affords him that, and then you have the board respecting him also as, as basically much yeah. a, a legend, and and doing an excellent job. And this is stability, something that we're, it's not synonymous with Real Madrid at all in the management terms. Is is this stability? And he could go on for quite a while early. I think he could. Uh, you look at this season, for example. I mean, this summer, for for all the money that's been flying about world football, Real Madrid have been uncharacteristic characteristically quiet. I don't need anything. <laughs> well, well this, this is the whole thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that if tomorrow Kylian Mbappe turned around and chose Madrid, I think the deal would get done. I think his transfer from Monaco would, would be the only thing that would almost tilt the balance for Madrid. I think they, they would do that deal. But if they did so, it's, it's highly likely that like, Gareth Bale would be would then be surplus to requirements. It would leave the squad. So, so whether that's going to benefit you in the short term, medium term, long term, I think that's the kind of level of thinking that we're at now. Plus, it's, it's looking very likely at the moment that Mbappe is going to be off to PSG in the next few days from everything that's been said over the, the weekend. But 
I think you're right. And now, you see, I mean, this summer, a lot of people were fully expecting Madrid to come back in for David De Gea from Manchester United, the Manchester United goalkeeper, that there was a, an expectation that he would be the big signing for Madrid this summer. But Zidane has turned round and said that he is happy with Keylor Navas, who is not, not a big name, not a galactical by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a goalkeeper that, by all counts, is very popular within the squad and within the dressing room. And he's a goalkeeper that played extremely well for them last season. So with Zidane being able to turn around and say no to, to that big sign and De Gea being pursued, I think that is a sign that the club is ready for stability. It's interesting to say that they don't need anybody because you're absolutely right. I mean, you you look at the squad and really the general feeling and the way that things tend to be done in football is that you you target the weakest player on your team in terms of recruitment. So at the end of the season or as the season's going on, you might decide that your your central midfielder on the left-hand side, for example, isn't up to the task. So you immediately start specifying your recruitment, looking at that area and how you're going to strengthen that. So if Madrid can't do that and they don't need to do that, what they have done very well is do what a club in that position should do. They have looked across European football, world football, and they've identified a number of players in the 18 to 23 age bracket and they've identified that they have real potential and could go on to become world class one day and they've gone out and signed them. So they've almost got a second level behind their first team behind their, their Galacticos, their superstars, they've got a second level of younger, hungrier players that they, they're able to bring through. And by doing that, I think they've, they've kind of secured their position in terms of continuity of success. They've secured that for the next five or six seasons, at least going forward, if, if they keep everything as it is. Lee, they could nearly lose Ronaldo right this moment. And, and really, it doesn't have... You know, we saw it at, at the last game there um, against Barcelona. He didn't play. He wasn't yeah. needed. And it's frightening. No. It's absolutely frightening to think that, you know, they talk about uh, Messi leaving Barcelona and, and how that will affect. Then you've got Ronaldo at Real Madrid. And right at this moment in time, he's, you know, you, you mentioned Asenio there. Like, bloody hell, he's replaced. <laughs> I think that the, the one area they potentially are still lacking is is cover and the attacking positions. Um, they've got Benzema, Bale, Ronaldo, Asensio can play wide in the attack. But then behind that, you're kind of a little, you're stretching a little bit to a young Real Madrid youth product called Borja Mayoral. Um, he was at Wolfsburg in Germany last season on loan. Didn't really do anything spectacular, but he is still well thought of at the club. But if you were, for example, you're saying that you could lose you could lose Ronaldo. Now that Zidane has, has kind of switched to a 4-4-2 diamond system, that wide attacker, attack and roll from the left-hand side coming inside, that, that Ronaldo made his own. I think that's that's more that's no longer a piece of the tactical jigsaw. If you like, instead you'll be played as part of a two up front. Do you think that's part of the the the, the progress that, that Zidane's trying to make? You know, is, he, is this on purpose that he's doing this? Obviously, what are we looking at? Ronaldo will be thirty two this season. He's looking down the barrel of of you know waning and the, the forms going and so on it, it happens to all players regardless of how good an athlete the guy is you know it'll, it'll hit him eventually is Zidane forward thinking do you feel Lee? I think so I think it's, it's partly that I think um, playing as part of a two up front I think Zidane, Zidane knows that Ronaldo will have to do less out and out running um, for all I mean you're right Ronaldo is a physical freak and he's spoken himself about trying to go until his age 40 season he thinks that he has the, the physical condition to do that. It's it's whether 
I think with with players that are aging, it's always the the speed of thought is always there, but whether the the legs keep up with the speed of the brain, that that's always the test. But I think Zidane's recognised that. I mean, the four four two diamond, I think, was more it was more a move to get the most out of Isco at this stage. Isco's come come into the Real Madrid first team, and he's practically undroppable at the moment. The 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 way that the kids play in football, and that's what's really interesting. I mean, you spoke about Messi and Ronaldo. And the fact that they're getting a little bit older now. So we're very, very soon going to be coming out of the era of Messi and Ronaldo in terms of the Ballon d'Or, in terms of the conversation about who's the best player in the world. And now you've got Neymar choosing to make the move across to PSG and nobody knows what's going to happen with that move, whether his career will continue to be a success there or not, whether there'll be different distractions that he has to face. But at Real Madrid, they have two players in Isco and Asensio who I think are poised to to become world class. They're they're very close to it just now, and I think that they could be two of the players that are very much in contention for the the best player in the world mantle after Messi and Ronaldo are gone. No, it's funny. I had a conversation during the week here um, with a guy in town here around Neymar, and his spin on it is that you know whilst whilst the money was the main attraction to move to PSG, if it goes wrong there. The door is then open for Neymar to go to Real Madrid, which was, you know, it was <laughs> sort of rumoured. <laughs> and, and this is a roundabout way. Yes, we'll go take the payday. And if it all goes wrong, if it, if it goes right for him, fine. But if it goes wrong, that's his way of not going from Barcelona to, to, to Madrid, if you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, yeah. Would you think there's any, any, any sort of weight in that argument? It's not, I mean, it's not something you completely rule out, I don't think. I think that it's very difficult to tell where the motivations of Neymar are. I think there's a difference between Neymar the player and Neymar the brand. He almost sells himself as this footballing commodity rather than as a an individual football player and whether he would see that there was value for that brand and moving to Real Madrid. I mean, of course there is. You and I have spoken about it before about how Real Madrid are kind of set above in the Latin world in terms of their, their stature. They're the Probably the biggest team in football anyway, but it just goes to another level in the Latin American countries. So places like Brazil, Argentina, they see Real Madrid as being huge, a huge brand. So, yeah, it would be huge. I can't. I mean, you had Luis Figo making the move directly. And, of course, he had at the Classicos, there was the notorious case of him having pigs' heads thrown at him and things like that. So it would be interesting to see. And that would be some addition to the squad anyway, would it? It certainly would, and you know, the more that I that I thought about it during the week, it, it's something that that could actually happen. You know, arriving by a roundabout way without the controversy of of, of you yeah. know moving to the biggest rivals. But you know, moving on a slight bit, why do you think this change has come at Madrid? Has it been a moment of realization that you know, obviously, the the fees, transfer fees, contracts, agent fees have got so big, and and especially this window, we've seen them go out of control. Is this part of the reason you feel that maybe this change from the galactical era to, to a more pragmatic, possibly that's the best way of describing it, era has started? I don't think it's specifically money oriented. I don't think that Perez and, and Real Madrid and the board there, I don't think that they're shy about money. I think that they're, they're a club that takes in huge revenues every year and there's always been an element of that being pumped back into the club in terms of wages or, or transfers. I think that the biggest reason for the shift was it was almost a realisation that they were being completely outdone by Barcelona for a long period. I mean, not even on the pitch, but off the pitch. I mean, we talked about how 
when Mourinho was at Real Madrid, Barcelona were everybody's second favourite club. The, the style of football they played, the way that they, the way that the players behaved on and off the pitch, the fact that they had Guardiola, who was this, you know, this club legend who was now leading the team as a coach and was tactically innovative. I think Real Madrid took more notice of that than maybe they let on at the time. So you have this this Barcelona team who were a whirlwind of you know, pressing, counter-pressing, fast attacking football, fast passing. And then Real Madrid kind of started to adapt to that. When you see some of the signings they started making, now this is going back a few years, but the signing of, of Luka Modric from Tottenham, I think that was the first one for me, which was a clear sign that, that the club was doing something different. Well, he was... When he was playing at Tottenham Hotspur that, that last season when he was in England, he, he was one of, he was the best player in the country for me. I think that whilst he could be in some sections perceived as a Galactico, I don't think that was quite why he was signed. I think he was signed more for the skill set that he brings in midfield and the fact that he, he could almost be the antidote to the Barcelona midfield of Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets. Then you look at a few couple of seasons ago, they took Tony Cruz from Bayern Munich. Tony Cruz was a player that Pep Guardiola specifically stated to the Bayern board that he did not want to lose. There was an element of Cruz thinking that he was a bit bigger than he may have been at the time and a bit more important to Bayern at the time. There was a lot of rumours about him demanding certain things in terms of contract structure that went against what Bayern Munich did as a club. And maybe that's why his move to, to Real Madrid was sped up. But now you have a, a midfield with Modric and Cruz who are two of the most press-resistant players in world football. Quite simply, I mean, press-resistant, it's, it's a tactical term, which basically means that a player, when put under pressure by the opposition, does not lose the ball. So whether it's a case of being able to ski the lanes to pass forward through the press, or whether to know when to turn and recycle the ball backwards, you very, very rarely see Cruz or Modric hurried off the ball in the manner that maybe some of the Madrid midfields were when Barcelona were in the pomp. So I think part of it was was looking at the way that Barcelona played football and almost trying to to adapt their recruitment strategy to have players who not only were able to, to counteract what Barcelona did as a team, but were able to almost outdo them. You know, the philosophy at Real Madrid for, for, for decades was just by the best. There seems to be a, a football, a tactical philosophy being introduced here I think you know we, we spoke about this pre-pod you know obviously it, it's it's not yes we're still spending money on the best players but it's with a tactical uh, plan in mind and I think that's the major difference that I can identify yeah I think you're definitely right I think this this 442 diamond I think is here to stay for Madrid I mean there are interesting variations that they'll do they'll do off of that they'll have the wide forwards for example splitting out wide so you almost have the diamond with the attacking between the East Coast Central and then two wide forwards who still play almost in the wing positions but coming in field and, and that just gives opposition defences a huge, you know, a, a different issue almost rather than having the two static central strikers. So there's a few different wrinkles I think that Zidane will use this season going forward within that four that four four two diamond shape. But it, you are definitely right. He the the type of players that they're targeting and you look at the midfield in particular, their midfield, I mean, I, I got pilloried a couple of weeks ago for putting out a tweet saying that I, I just watched, I think it was the first leg of the, the Super Cup and I said that this Cruz Isco Modric midfield three 
was one of the best I'd seen in world football. And a lot of people threw back at me, Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta. And absolutely, they were, they were tremendous as well. But I haven't seen a midfield as good as this Madrid one for a long, long time. And then you take players like Casemiro, who's perhaps the most limited of the Real Madrid players. But in the second leg of that Supercopa last week, when, when Madrid were at home, they played a Croatian international, something I wrote an article on just last week, Matteo Kovacic, who's a 23-year-old Croatian international midfielder. They played him as the deepest midfielder, and he was just a revelation. And to see that they're able to take in these players who, they're not B-team players, they're, they're still around the first-team squad, and he's still on the bench, he's still picking up first-team minutes. But all of a sudden, they put him in from the start, and he was the best player on the pitch. It's a frightening proposition, I think, for any opponent going forward. No, and you mentioned uh, Kovacic there, and he's a player at the moment who I believe has a buyout clause in, in his contract, and, and I know that our fans are, are clamouring, um, you know, making noises along those lines. But again, you know, once they're at Madrid and, and he's starting to break into that team, there's no, yeah. it, it's like essential. There's no way, he, I think he has a buyout clause of 67 million. There's no way anybody can lift that. There's no way anybody can touch that league. I don't think so. I mean, the last couple of days it's come to light that Juventus had just bid over 70 million euros for Kovacic on the back of his performance the other night, possibly. And that was flatly turned down by, by Real Madrid. So I'm not sure what the buyout clause in his contract is. But if there is one, the same way you see Isco now, Isco's got a buyout clause, I think, of almost 600 million on the back of the Neymar thing. Because obviously no one expected a team to come in and, and pay Neymar's buyout clause so now those buyout clauses are almost tripling in values but, but even somebody had 600 million Lee, what, why would Isco want to move from Madrid at the minute it, it, it's the way forward no. it seems yeah I, I completely agree I think you're right I think that players like, I mean last season there was an argument that you could have got Kovacic away from Madrid I think I think although he was playing I mean Zidane with the run up to the Champions League as well and getting to the finals Zidane rotated his squad a lot last season but now, going into this season, you see two of those, the, the key players, they almost played, I think the, the joke in, at the time was that it was Real Madrid A and Real Madrid B. But the, the star players for Real Madrid B were James Rodriguez, who's obviously gone on loan to Bayern Munich, and Alvaro Morata, who's gone to Chelsea. And then Kovacic was perhaps next in line after that. But they made a very conscious decision to keep Kovacic at the club because of what he can offer. I mean... You've got a player who can, who it now appears, can play the base in midfield. And his biggest strength is carrying the ball forwards. His biggest strength is dribbling in one-on-one situations. So if you have ostensibly a defensive midfielder who's able to dribble past the opposition's pressure or, or beat them with a short pass and a giving go, that opens up a whole new level of options for your team going forward, especially when you have ahead of him then. You'll have Cruz and Modric and Isco and Asensio. It's just... I don't see why any of their top players would want to move, to move and leave at the moment, to be honest. It's just, I don't think that if Neymar was at Real Madrid at the moment, I genuinely don't think that PSG would have been able to tempt him away. No, exactly. And, and you, you know, maybe just going off on a tangent here, Lee, what we saw from Barcelona over those two legs, like they were roundly beaten, they were whipped. And you, and yeah. you don't expect that from Barcelona. Maybe do you feel that, that it's maybe... We're maybe maybe been a bit hard on Neymar. Maybe he saw these cracks developing, and that's part of the reason. Or, sorry, that's part of the reason why he he jumped ship. Yeah, it, potentially. I mean, you never know. You never know the inner workings of a club like Barcelona at that level. 
there was always a, there was a lot of pressure on Luis Enrique when he was coach, and there was a lot of talk at the time that certain players weren't happy with his style of coaching, his style of play, and the way that things were being done almost behind the scenes at the club. I think that Neymar, especially, he's Neymar is very aware of his his next step almost, and there was a feeling that he was going to be the one who would take over from Messi at Barcelona. But now you're looking at Messi and you're wondering just when that's going to be. How long does a player like Neymar sit at Barcelona almost behind Messi in terms of importance before before Messi decides to step out of the team and decides to retire? That could be three, four seasons, by which time Neymar is, is well into his career. He may have missed a chance to go on and kick on and become the best player in the world. He, he could very well have turned around and seen that there were there were issues coming to the club in terms of players they were recruiting because let's face it, the players that Barcelona have recruited over the last three seasons, a lot of them have been terrible acquisitions and I think it's it's almost a measure of the unrest and issues that the club has at Paulinho a deeper level. makes no sense either, Lee. <laughs> that, that one completely baffled me. Not, I mean, Paulinho's a, a, a fine player for what he is, I think, but whether signing Paulinho if that was a, a conscious decision that was made by the sporting director, the chairman, by the president, sorry, and by the coach, Ernesto Valverde, I don't see why you signed a player like Polino for Barcelona. Not whenever you're Given chasing his, this Madrid side, this Madrid side that have, yeah. that have eclipsed you completely. You've got to be, you've got to be looking, and, and I don't mean to, to slate Polino in any way by, by saying it, but... He, he's limited. He's very good at what he does, but he's limited. And, yep. and as you as you said to me pre-pod, trying to think of him doing the Iniesta role, it's it's just not working for him. No, no, you you don't see. It. I mean, I think Real Madrid are going to pass circles around him. To be perfectly honest with you, but if Paulinho does play against him, it remains to be seen how this move goes. But everything about Paulinho is what it's the exact opposite to what Barcelona should be doing at this point. You don't go out and sign players who are 29 years old when the average age of your squad is already high. You should be looking to freshen up. You should be looking at the, the younger players to take them in. Kind of, You almost allow yourself a season, I think, if you're Barcelona at this stage. You allow yourself a season of accepted... You'd never come out and say it outwardly, but I think you accept to a point that you're going to come behind Madrid this season and you go out and you start resetting for next season almost. So you, you don't sign a Paulinho, you, you go, you, they should have pushed harder for Dani Ceballos, who Real Madrid signed this season from Real Betis in the back of his under-21, he'd been under-21 championship performance in a fine season last season for Betis. For, I mean, Ceballos is a creative attacking midfielder who has the right age profile at the moment for, for a time team like Barcelona, although there, there were certain things that he may not be the most... He may not be a Catalan sympathiser, let's just say, judging by some of his social media over the last few years. But I think a club will look beyond that. And really, you need to be you need to be smarter in terms of recruitment if you're Barcelona at the moment. No, indeed. And, and you know, I think we'll move on, actually, back to Real Madrid again, uh, Lee. And, and, and you'll talk about the recruitment that we've seen from them. And, you know, keeping, keeping in mind this sort of movement away from the Galactical thing. Yes, they're still buying super players. But you know, we saw this season that they've bought. They've come down here to to Rio and bought uh, Vinicius Junior as a sixteen-year-old for forty million euro. Again, you know, we, we can tie Oatengard in with this and, and how that went disastrously wrong for him. Obviously, Vinicius Junior has two seasons or a season and a half down here until he's eighteen. Um, you know, to, to to cut his teeth with first team football is a, is a, is a bit different. 
And certainly the talent that, you know, at his own peer group, his own age level, he was a completely outstanding player. And one would hope he would continue that way. But again, this is, this is a difference. Um, and, 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 and is it, you know, is this signifying that the galactical model is dead? I think it's definitely gone. I think that Real Madrid are, they're smarter now than they were there. I mean, they almost have now three tiers of recruitment. So they, they've got three specific strands that they're following. There is still, the Galactical side to it. I think that in the last time we truly saw that, who would it have been? James Rodriguez in the back of the, the last World Cup, perhaps. And I, I still maintain that James should have been given more time at Real because I think he's a fantastic player. Absolutely. That was, you think he was very bad, yeah. badly done by there? I think so. I, but perhaps at the time he went to Real, he may have been better advised to go elsewhere, which can so often be said to players in the last 10 years when they, they, they joined Real and, and it didn't come off for them. But I think that there will still be an expectation that they go out and sign the biggest players beyond. I mean, obviously, Neymar was one thing. But I think, as I said earlier on, I think that if Kylian Mbappe, I think if they could do that deal tomorrow, I think that they would. Beyond that, you don't really see anybody of that stature in this transfer window that they're likely to go after. I, I did. I spoke to somebody on social media this week who was asking me whether I thought that Alexis Sanchez would would be a target for Real Madrid and I absolutely don't. I think that he's he's very much a player that they don't need and when we talk about profiles of players. So whereas he may be verging on Galactico in terms of his, his stature within world football. Thirty years old as well, Lee, you know, the, the exactly. age of Sanchez would, would, would probably rule him out of the, of you know, well he's been yes. at Barca, but the, the Real Madrid side of things. Don't get me wrong, I anybody so. who anybody who got him could get two or three excellent seasons out of him. Um you know, he says he what what he brings to the game, you cannot buy that mentality that he has. But Madrid no. have that in bucket loads. They, they already do, exactly. So the Glasgow, I think the Glasgow strand to the recruitment is still there and they will still be involved most summers with at least one high-profile deal. But it's what they're doing behind that almost that's the most important thing. I, I spoke about the fact that when you're, you're at a level like Real Madrid and I think you could almost mirror that talk about Spurs in the, the English Premier League. When you look at their squad and, okay, the... the don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely not saying that I think the Spurs are the level of Real Madrid. But I think if you look at their squad and the way they performed last season, their Pochettino, I think that they were they were absolutely superb. And there's an argument to be made that the continuity of the club is very important. They're doing a good thing this summer. I think what they should be doing is what Real Madrid do as well. They should be looking to identify these these potential players, these players at the the twenty to twenty three age range from around Europe. And this should be Just looking to take Dallas them in. Sanchez club. there, who is an excellent, excellent addition yes. for them. One one of my favourite defenders. I'm a big fan of Ajax personally, so I watched a lot of their games last season. He really stood out, not just with his ability. He's, he's a great tackler, he's aggressive, which I like in a defender, but he was so often the man who started Ajax attacks with his passing as well. I think he'll be an excellent addition for Spurs, and that's what I mean. That they they should be looking at these players at that age range and taking them into the club now, so they get kind of indoctrinated into the style of play at the club, and there's no heavy expectation immediately that they're going to start and they're going to get X amount of first team minutes, but they're just given time to to almost settle. I mean, that's exactly what Real did. They you look at Isco. Isco is not a Real Madrid player. He he was Malaga. He was he was actually at Valencia first of all, then moved to Malaga before Real Madrid picked him up and signed him. And he's kind of 
bear his time. He hasn't immediately gone in there and demanded first team football. And now you see him playing. He's almost he's almost the finished article as an attacking midfielder in terms of his balance, his vision. Absolute brilliance. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, you've almost been used in recent years to seeing these Spanish midfielders come through. But he reminds me he's not quite an Iesta, he's not quite Xavi. He's kind of got a bit of both in his game, which is frightening. Do you feel it yet? You know, it would be worthwhile saying that he's not there yet because I feel there's so much more to come from him. Like, he's a young lad. Yeah. And, and when he peaks, you know, they talk about the next generation coming through to replace, to replace the likes of Neymar and, and, and Messi. Isco would be one of those players, Asensio, another, both at the same club, Absolutely. both at the, playing at the very highest level with the yep. best players around them. That can only enhance a career. Yeah, but then, they, as you said, they've got Asensio, but again, he's he's another player who was not a real bit of product. He was at um, Real Mallorca, where he, he was, I think he was born in Mallorca and he played there for the first team, the youth team, and they picked him up. Now, this is these are two Spanish-born players who, they, they weren't secrets. They, there was a lot of hype about both of them at the time. They, they were doing very well, doing big things with Spanish youth teams. But Real were the ones who stepped in and bought these players while Barcelona sat on their hands. Barcelona could have had Asensio, I believe. I believe he was quite open to a move there, but the bid never materialised. And now you look at the position the player's in when he's he's on the verge of breaking out and becoming something huge, I think. And Barcelona could have had him, but their recruitment was based elsewhere. Whereas Madrid were concentrating on this next level of players, they were concentrating on on taking in these players at that age and uh, under the the understanding that they could develop them. I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they use the loan system. They they loan these players out to other teams in the league up from time to time. But there's always an expectation that if they perform, they'll get a chance in the first team. And that is the biggest change I think since the Galactico era. It's the fact that these young players now are confident in the fact that they will get an opportunity the first team if they show they deserve it. Whereas in the Galactico era, it really didn't matter what, what certain young Spanish players were showing. If Real went out and signed a player for, well, at the time it would have been, say, 50, 60 million, that was a lot of money back then. If they went out and signed these players for, for huge money in their position, that was them done. It doesn't matter how promising they were, how much potential they had. And the fact that they've moved around now to giving these players the opportunity for first-team football, I think, is why Real are one of the most interesting teams to look at. But the third strand of the recruitment, they, they're also looking still at the, the youth policy. They are taking some players through. You look at the moment in the first team, and really you only have Sergio Ramos and Danny Carvajal in the defence, who are genuine Real Madrid products. So Carvajal went away from the club and was bought back after his performances were deemed worthy of Real Madrid almost. And Sergio Ramos is just an institution at the club. But they have a young defensive midfielder called Marcos Llorente, who was one of the best defensive midfielders in Spain last season for Alaves. And now he's back in the, the, the Real Madrid first team picture. It remains to be seen now. I thought personally at the start of this season that he would feature in the first team quite heavily towards the end of the season, especially when he became comfortable. But now when you see Casemiro and you see the performance of Kovacic in that role, I think there's a chance that Llorente might get loaned out for one more season, but he is certainly one from the Real Madrid youth system. He's born and bred at the club, and he is somebody that the club rate highly. So they've got these three different strands to recruitment, and it's interesting the way that they're pulling it all together and that they're, they're almost managing them all at once. It's a sign of a very well-run club. 
Yeah, and, and maybe just to, to, to base it off against Barcelona, you know, we know their ownership is slightly different. And, and also, you know, we, we've also seen in, in the media in the last couple of years about just the financial constraints that, that you know, these contracts, the likes of uh, Messi and, and Suarez, are on such high wages that it's eating the majority of, of, of money coming into the clubs. And I think that that in Barcelona has been a rock that they're going to perish on in, in a few seasons' time because they've, they've not been able to, you know, they were very constrained with their wages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even players like Busquets, Piquet, I think that they're on high wages as well. I mean, what was the rumour that Messi's new contract was? Was it a million a month? Yeah, something daft so, like something, that. Something insane like that. And don't get me wrong, I mean, if you had the money and it was to be spent in the club, then you would give it to Messi to play football for your club. I maintain that he's the best player I've ever seen in my life. And I've been lucky enough to see him in the flesh and I won't forget that. But I think that I think there is an issue there when you're turning around and you're saying almost that these players are at a different level. That's why, I mean, this is why the, the American sports model is so different, isn't it? The the thing is, when you get these players, and you might have a core of four or five great players at like Barcelona do, but you can't pay them all top black, so you end up losing them to free agency or trading them in, in the American sports vernacular. And you have to be very, very of, clever in recruitment, and recruitment so, but, is so cutthroat yes. today. And I think this is where this is where it becomes so difficult for a Barcelona. When yep, you that's why, as I said, if Barcelona had been smart at the time and they'd gone out and signed Isco and Asensio then perhaps we would be in this, this predicament because they might be able to turn around to one of their high earners and, and almost trade them off and sell them off to, to recoup some of the money and still have Isco and Asensio on contracts that were, were attainable and, and were, you know, were able to, to be managed within the structure of the club. No, and I'll say just some of the behaviour at the minute coming out of Barcelona, I appreciate that they've been, you know, been side, side-footed by uh, throwing a curveball by, by the Neymar thing. But, you know, the, the pursuit of Coutinho and Dembele, you know, both players now, we're, we're told today Coutinho's now gone missing, he's he's disappeared and Dembele's disappeared. <laughs> it's one thing to, to want players, but if, if the club's not willing to sell to you, you know, as I, yes. we, we find it with Virgil van Dijk and Naby Keita so far this window, you know, at the yep. end of the day, these players sign clubs, nobody asks them, they're not forced to sign these contracts, to sign them of their own free will. And and then when it comes to, to to a point where a club says we don't want to say and a, a team like Barcelona and I think the the Barca have basically disgraced themselves this window with, with their behaviour and you know they, they go they normally get what they want and they're not getting what they want and we're seeing a different yes. face of Barcelona this window. I think that's an interesting almost it's a result of, of all the money that's currently going around football. So you see the the TV contracts that the English sides have got. So you've got a Southampton and you've got a Liverpool who who no longer. They're no longer constrained by money in the way they may have been three, four, five seasons ago. So these these offers coming in for their star player, they're well within their rights now to say, look, we don't need the money. And I, and I think in the first episode of this this podcast, we spoke about Red Bull Leipzig and, and how keeping Naby Keita is almost more important to them in terms of their, their image and their brand going forward at the Champions League than the money potentially 70, 75 million from Liverpool is. So all the extra money going around European people, I think it's kind of, it's almost changed the dynamic. So these players who before would sign a five-year, six-year contract, one year, you know, get all the plaudits from the fans, all the photographs and kissing the badge and they'd get a significant pay increase, but they'd be safe in the knowledge that next season they could still agitate for a move and get a move to whatever club they wanted to. So I think that the power almost has shifted for the first time in a couple of decades back towards the clubs 
from just the players. And I think it adds an interesting aspect to the transfers. But you're absolutely right, the way that Barcelona have have handled themselves in the, the public eye over the last couple of weeks with their, their transfer dealings. I think it's left a really bad taste in the mouth for many people. Yeah, and, and you know, they normally get what I think it just comes down to they normally get what they want and, and they're not getting it this time and they're starting to stamp yeah. it. He's like a petulant child. But, you know, m- moving along with this and back to Madrid again, uh, Lee, you know, w- obviously, bar the success, the history, you know, the great manager, playing with great players, you know, are, they're, they're all big positives for, for new signings for Real Madrid. But, you know, what, what makes Real Madrid so special for a player? I, I think for a lot of players, I mean, you look at the beginning of the Galactical era, and a lot of the players you saw signing for them, it was it was the image almost of Real Madrid in the white shirts. And that was always seen kinda as the pinnacle of world football for a lot of people. It was it was the draw of the club, the history, the the values, the everything that went along with being Real Madrid. So you would you would see them on TV in their their gleaming white shirt lifting trophy after trophy after trophy. And they almost became became the, the, the standard bearer for a lot of people in terms of where they would like to see their career end up. But then, with the Galacticos, it almost became a status for certain players, I think, to be targeted by Real Madrid during that era, during that era and seen as a Galactico, I think, was a draw. It wasn't a success in terms of team building, in terms of recruitment models. It, it certainly can't be seen as a success, but I think that was a large part of it. But then you, you, I think you've always got to remember, and again, this is something that you're more acutely aware of than I am, Dave. You've got to be aware of the, the draw that Real Madrid have with Spanish-speaking countries. I think that's absolutely huge. So you see players like James Rodriguez when he chose to, to leave Monaco after the World Cup and he went to Real Madrid, I think. As I said, he was perhaps badly advised to make that move, but you fully understand why he did it. For a Colombian to, to turn around and say that he's a Real Madrid player, I think is huge in the same way that it potentially is still for Argentinians, even with Messi being at Barcelona. I think a lot of Argentinians still, they still see Di Stefano, uh, the history of that. that well, I, I would put them on a par, to be honest with you, in, in the Latin mind, so to speak, Lee. Barcelona and Real Madrid are mythical, mystical creatures that, you know, yeah. every player down here who kicks a ball, um, even the kids in the street, their, their, their starting dream is not to play for Flamengo, it's not to play for Corinthians, it's not to play for Palmeiras, it's to play for Real Madrid or Barcelona because then you have made it and you know you, you will be remembered for the, your history is secure. Yeah, Almost the feeling that these two were at the, at the top and that there was nobody else challenging them. So whether the, the PSG deal for Neymar almost threatens that duopoly, I'm not sure. I think that that'll remain to be seen by how they perform this season and how Neymar performs this season and at the World Cup. You can definitely see why Real Madrid will always, I think, be a pool. But but now, in the modern era with this team, I think Real Madrid are going to go on and do something special the next season or two. And I think the draw, not only of playing with this group of players they have, but almost being coached by Zidane. I think a lot of players still... I mean, Zidane is, is young enough his playing career is still remembered by an awful lot of people. Um, he was the best player in the world for a period of time, deservedly so. He was a fantastic footballer for the length of his career. So I think that a lot of footballers still respect what Zidane has done in the game and they would happily go and play for him. I think that's another aspect of the draw. 
No, without a doubt it is. And, you know, we touched on that earlier on. But I'm just curious, just to close out here, Lee, um, you know, we talk about the next generation at Madrid and, and we've spoken about Asensio, we've spoken about Isco and, and maybe the, the, they're the, the now generation, maybe uh, the best way of saying it. But, what, but what's waiting in the wings, do you feel, um, that can come through for them? I think the three players that I've already touched upon, setting aside Isco and Asensio, who are, as you say, that's, that's the now, they're, they're embedded within the first team. I think it'll be interesting to see the roles that Dani Ceballos, who I, just, I spoke about earlier on, who signed this season from Rio Betis, he came on in the, the Super Cup towards the end of the game. Um, the role that he's given in the first team this season, I think, will be an interesting one. I think he'll almost be seen as the natural backup to Isco, even though they're they're not that far apart in terms of age. I think this goes that much further on his development because he's been at a, a Real Madrid for this time as opposed to a Real Betis. Whether Ceballos has the temperament to sit there as a squad player remains to be seen, but he is a very, very interesting talent. His his ability in one-on-one situations, his, he's almost unorthodox with the way that he carries the ball and the way that he's able to beat a man in one-on-ones. So... He'll he'll go past you. He'll do a trick and go past you. And he's also got that that turn of speed that means that once he's done, once he's got an opponent off balance, he can go past him very very quickly. And the dangerous areas of the pitch, as well as him, I think this is the coming of age season for Mateo Kovacic. As I say, I wrote a piece on him for Eat Sleep Drink Football uh, that went out this past week. That was the piece was planned before the Super Cup, but watching the second leg of the Super Cup, it was incredibly interesting for me to see him in that deeper role. You, you saw times when the Real defenders would have the possession of the ball and Kovacic would go running towards them, demanding the pass. And as soon as they passed him, he's straight away thinking defensively. So he's not a he's not a defensive midfielder in the sense that he passes the ball sideways backwards, he keeps things safe. He will try and do things, again, like Ceballos. He's very, very dangerous in the one-on-one. And it's interesting, actually, that Real Madrid have signed so many young players who have that ability in one-on-one situations. In modern football, there's so there's such little space in the field. The ability to beat a man one-on-one when you're up against a direct opponent, it throws the entire defensive structure of the opposition off. If you have a player who can go past a player, get into that space and drive, towards the next opponent straight away you're threatening certain spaces you're creating overloads in your attacking movements against the defensive structure and you're giving yourself an opportunity to break through there so Real Madrid have gone out and I think they've they've deliberately signed a few a, a number of players who are very very strong in that area of the game and that's another you know aspect of the game that that makes them so so interesting to watch this season I think the third player again it's one that I touched upon not long ago Marcos Llorente, like Kovacic, he can play in that defensive midfielder role, but unlike Kovacic, he is more of a traditional defensive player in that role. At Alaves last season, he he was their standout player. And remember, Alaves was the side that, that performed well in the league and they got to the Spanish Cup final and they, their coach, Pellegrino, got the move to Southampton in the English Premier League. And there was talk of Southampton wanting to take Llorente with Pellegrino to to the club, you know, and more in a loan deal because Real will not sell this player. He is a tall, angular, almost a non-Spanish looking player. But it reminds me a lot of Busquets in the way that he's able to take up positions in the field that are 
you almost no, don't notice him when he's playing until the ball breaks. He always tends to be in the right position. So he's always positions himself intelligently to take a pass back to support teammates, but to break up opposition attacks as well. So whether he gets significant game time or not, I think that the next season or two, we will see him given an opportunity in the first team. And, and what do you feel about, you know, we touched on Vinicius Jr., we, we touched on Otengard. Um, you know, obviously Vinicius Jr. is a, a long way away, but I do see him as, as someone who could potentially be a very big player for Real Madrid. But let's remember Martin Otengard. What what's what do you feel? What's your what's your thoughts around him at the moment? Because he just he seems to have disappeared off the radar of everyone. You know, there was a stage that his father was looking for him to work under a German coach, so a few Liverpool fans got quite excited about that last season. Yes. Never came to anything. Now he's appeared in the first team, but it's it's few and far between. And for such a precocious talent that we were led to believe he was, he he must be rotting away somewhere. I think he made the wrong move. I think that. Due to the age that he was when he broke through, what was he, 15? And he was playing first-team football. I understand moving away from Norway at that stage because Norwegian football, I think, is stagnant at the moment in terms of competition and player development. But if you're going to make that move at that age, you need to be going to a club where there is a clear pathway and plan for your development going forward. I remember thinking do you, do you at the time think he that he was foolish enough to believe that he was good enough to walk into that team because there's a part of me that can't rule that out, Lee. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think, but again, I think a lot of that would have been part of the sell that was put on by Real Madrid. It would have been, you know, you're, you're the next big star in world football, so come and be that star at Real Madrid. And maybe instead of taking a step back, I mean, at the time, Ajax were, were one of the clubs that were extremely interested in him. He would have been much better served going to Amsterdam and playing at Ajax, even for two, three seasons, and then make the move to Real Madrid if that's what you want to do. But have that development time in a club and in a in an atmosphere and environment where it's more conducive to your development rather than, you know, I mean, Real Madrid, Real Madrid Castilla, where he was playing the, the B team for Madrid. They play in the Spanish third division where really there's not a lot of room for a player like Odegaard to really express himself and to, to develop. Unlike if he goes to one of these notorious talent developers, a club like even Borussia Dortmund, uh, Ajax, Southampton. It worked for Davos and Sanchez, you know what I mean? (laughs) He went to Ajax and stayed the season. I remember him playing for Atletico Nacional here in the Copa Libertadores. And, you know, it was clear he was a great player. Same Yari Mina's apparently making the move to Barcelona now. Um, Eight and a half million bargain of the bloody window again, coming from yeah, Colombia. Exactly. And surely the advisors, the father, whoever, missed the career path completely. Was it a rush for cash, maybe? There's there's just so many questions at begs Lee. It, it's one that really, really bugs me because he did look like an exceptional talent that just seems he to did. just dis- disappeared. Yeah, uh, and that's something that can so easily happen. That's At that age especially, you, you still don't know what a player is going to be at 15. It's like you're saying, that the fact they've signed the senior junior from Flamengo, I believe, at 40 million, but he has to stay in Brazil for two years, so you don't know how that player is going to develop in that time. You don't know how that player is but going to mature in that time. But at least he's in that first team. At least he's yeah, exposed you know, to that. He's exposed to Libertadores, he's exposed to Cups, he's exposed the, to League. Yeah. So that's a, that's a difference there, but They've signed Odegaard to take him over straight away and it's too soon for a player to be coming in as somebody who's hyped that much. The amount of attention that was on him when he was playing for Real Madrid Casilla, it was almost uncomfortable. You know, there was such an expectation on somebody who's still so young when he should really have been 
behind closed doors on the training ground, developing as a player all this time instead of instead of being this mini celebrity that he's become. No, indeed. Well, listen, I, I think there's a nice point we'll, we'll actually leave it for now, Lee. Um, uh, just before you go, um, obviously you want to plug the work there and where anybody can find you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at FM Analysis and the vast majority of my writing at the moment goes to Eat, Sleep, Drink, Football for I'm the lead analyst. Um, you can find us on www.esdfanalysis.com. It's um, a site that I started with a good friend of mine and basically, I've been giving carte blanche to get a lot of different tactical analysts together and letting them write what they're interested in. So there's a lot of different things on there, a lot of statistical stuff, a lot of a lot of purely tactical stuff. So if you're interested in that kind of writing and reading what I have to say, there's a few recruitment pieces for me as well. So, yeah, come and check us out. Indeed. Well, feel free to do that, folks. Um, from my own point of view, I'm just going to use this to... to, to plug our uh, WFI scouting spotlight, which is basically Tom Robinson and Austin Miller are doing a series of them. All the South American young players, but we've covered Rick Carlison, who ended up at Watford, um, Yari Mena, who is, by the looks of it, might maybe end up at Barcelona this window. Other than that, all your usual pods are there. Check out the website as well. We'll have Bundesliga review. We've got the Italian review. There's lots of stuff appearing on the web- website as well. But just one massive last thanks to Lee, and until the next one, it's goodbye. <laughs>